0: Love, Talk Radio. Listen, for those of you that are going through, for those of us that are waiting on His promise,
1: understand God has not forgotten you. When times get tough, you've got to look up to heaven and encourage yourself and say,
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more.
1: I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson.
2: Brian, when I tell you we have an action-packed show for tonight, I can't even stand. You know what? I'm just ready to bring our guests in, but we, we have some things we need to talk about first. I think we need to prepare our audience for this ball of fire that we have on the line with us, Brian.
1: Yes, we do. Yes, we do. You know, Greg, as we've been doing for the last couple of weeks and a couple of months, uh, we've been trying to highlight the situation in Haiti, and we want people to remember that the folks in Haiti, the nation of Haiti, is still hurting, they're still mourning, they're still rebuilding, and they still need our prayers and our financial help as well. So if you could... By whatever means uh, you so decide, sow a seed into the nation of Haiti. But Greg, yes, I, I tell you, we got one. I mean, when, when I first heard about this story, it it pained my heart. It broke my heart. Mm-hmm. And so, just to have this individual on the on the show with us tonight, it's gonna be woo wee. it it may be a little tough to listen to, but it's something that everyone needs to be aware of.
2: Yes. You know, Brian, I was talking to our guest today, and we were talking about uh, women being women. You hear all the time, a man needs to be a man and this kind of thing, but we were talking about just some things that she opened my eyes to. Uh, And uh, we're going to talk tonight, Brian, about, where the show is basically tonight's for women uh it it applies to everybody especially when where you are right now is not where you are going to stay but you have to do what our guest did brian she changed her thinking she changed the way she did things she pretty much just moved out of her own way and let god take over but uh, let's bring her in they can listen to us talk all night but I really want people to be blessed tonight, and I'm sure that's what they're going to get. So if you have a pen and a pad, please, please take notes. We are definitely going to touch on some some things that a lot of people don't like talking about, Brian.
1: Yes, sir. Tonight's guest is uh, Miss Natasha Edwards, and she's a single mother of two boys, and she has a story to tell. And we're going to let her tell this story, and then we're going to basically dialogue and have, her tell us how this situation in her life affected her and what she did to be the person that she is right now, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour, Miss Natasha Edwards.
0: Thank Ms. you, Miss Edwards, Thank you all for having me tonight. Praise God. And <laughs> <laughs> tonight's topic, uh,
2: Miss Edwards, is "Mourn No More." Amen. Mourn no more. Yes. Yeah, and I'm gonna let Brian. I'm gonna let Brian start it off because he's a little antsy tonight. I, I think that'll <laughs> okay, be the only way. Okay, that's way, right. Yeah, you know, I, I think that'll be the only way we'll keep him calm. as we we have to give him something to do. <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> yeah, hey, I can't I can't disagree with that. You know, I want you to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself.
0: Okay. Well, first of all, tonight I just want to give God the honor and the praise for being able to be on the airways with you all on tonight and. It's such an honor and a privilege to be able to come on live and tell my story. And just a little bit about myself. Like I say, I am a single mother, and I have two sons, and my oldest son is incarcerated right now. And he's serving a 15-year prison sentence. But God has given me strength through that. So tonight I pray that the message of my story is able to reach women across the world. And no matter what color you may be, no matter where you are right now, I just pray that God just gives me the words to say through my story and that it will bring forth some comfort and some healing to the hurting souls that's out there right now because of what they're going through, because of decisions that their children have made, and to know that there is light at the end of the tunnel, I promise you. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, evening. ma'am. Brian, are you there?
1: Yes, sir. Okay. Yes.
2: Yeah, she, she's. Go ahead. Well, right.
1: well, she was giving honor to God, but I was still waiting on her question. I mean, on her response.
0: Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's
1: okay. If
0: you, if you want to just ask me the question again, we could just take it live, and like I said, we could go from there. Because, like I yes. said, I just had to do that
1: first. I I totally understand. Now, I was gonna. <laughs> um, I was asking you to just tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Okay, well, like I say, I'm a single mother, and I've been working with the state of Florida for 17 years, and I am an advocate working in ministry, you know, well, basically full time, but not in the way that people would put it as full time, but more or less, like I say, just working my way through the networks, and I am from Madison County originally, and I live here in Tallahassee, Florida, I've been here ever since the age of 13, and like I say, I'm a graduate of FAMU, DRS High School. And like I say, I just, you know, about myself, I'm a nice, outgoing person. And for the ones that know me, I feel like they will be able to say amen to that situation. But more or less, like I say, I am a single mother of two young boys, and they're such a blessing in my life.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you talked about your son being yes. incarcerated. And I know that must be a tough thing for a parent to go through. I, you know, fortunately have never had to experience that myself. But, you know, just tell us about, you know, that particular situation, if you would.
0: Okay. Well, my son, at the age of 12, he started going through different changes. And I began to sit back and question and, you know, wonder what was going on. Because at one point he was such a happy child And then just within a matter of months, he just began to change, and his grades began to drop severely. Well, during that time, I found out that he was into marijuana, and he had started rebelling at school, and he got caught with marijuana. And from that point, it was just a a turn of events, because he was sentenced to this village, which here in Tallahassee, that's a program for children, minors that are underage, and They have substance abuse, but they don't have a serious record at that time. Well, after going through this, you know, next thing I know, before we could even get that straightened out, he had gotten another charge, and so he was dismissed from school. So he had to start going to an alternative school. And with that, the anger came on even more. I mean, he was just acting out. He was talking back. He was just, wanted to snap at everybody he didn't want to get involved in family affairs anymore and so continuously hanging out with the own crowd he started having friends showing up on the doorstep that i had never seen before and i was wondering where are these people coming from and you know when they're at that age they feel like they know more than what you know and you're trying to tell them right from wrong but they still don't want to listen to you and so with that his actions they started he started just doing the ultimate the crimes became more severe and to the point where he was taken out of the home and he had to go in to a program and before like i say he could even get through with that his attitude caused him to be dismissed from the program and once again we were back in the court system you know trying to figure out what to do next so they put sanctions on him like if he was 20 years old at that time, and not realizing the pressure that it was on me as a single parent, you know, having to go to all these different sanctions, you know, you're having to be there at times where you normally would have to be at work, and my son just seemed like at that time it just didn't even matter to him, and so we continued to go on through this cycle, and from that point, he was sent to another program, and afterwards, people, you know, they start trying to sue me, you know, because they were like, well, he walked into my house, and, you know, I need you to pay, and sometimes there were other co-defendants involved in these situations, but it didn't matter. For some reason, I was under attack. I was the one that they were taking into court, and I began to get angry because I was like, Lord, I am trying so hard here, but continuously, you know, I'm the one that's having to just go through this, and... He came out of that program and he wasn't even home five or six months before he was back into something else. And it was just a roller coaster ride with him. And I was like, Lord, please tell me this will stop soon. Well, it didn't stop soon. A year turned into another year, two years came about, three, four, five. And through that, like I say, I experienced so much with sitting in those courtrooms you know, by myself, you know, just having to see those kids come through the doors, shackled down, and I was like, oh, God, it's just a moving experience. If nobody's ever been in the courtroom and seen children being shackled, is very touching. And if you don't have a heart, you'll have a heart when you come up out of there. And so from that point, like I said, with him, he just continued to get in trouble. And he would come home, and I'm just praying, Lord, just let his attitude be much better. But still yet, he was becoming to be even more ungrateful. It's like he felt like someone owed him something. No matter what you said to him, he felt like, I know more. It got to the point where he was sneaking out of the house at night, sneaking out of the bedroom window. You know, I'm in the house sleep. My youngest son was in the house sleep. But still yet, that spirit was just driving him, just driving him, trying to take him out at an early age. And so it just got to a point where I just would be up at night just praying, just praying. And finally one day I just screamed out. I was like, Lord, I just can't take it anymore. I need you to do something here. And from that point, God just, I mean, it just happened. He went out one day when I told him to stay home. I got home that evening. No sign of my son. So afterwards he came home probably like two days later. And when he came in the room, he told me that he's a police he's going to be looking for me after a while. And I was like, what have you done? And what he told me he was involved in, it just took my heart. I was like, you got to be serious. You can't be serious. And he was like, yes. And the sad part about it, the Friday before Christmas of that particular year, I get a knock on my door. I had just started my first day of vacation. There was the sheriff's department, state troopers, everybody just surrounded at my house. And I was like, what's the problem? And when they told me they were there for my son, even though I was somewhat prepared, but you can it's just like a, a death of a loved one. You can see them laying on the bed and you know they're sick and you know they're going to leave you. But when it actually happens, it just does something to you. And that's the experience that I had when I got to that door, and they told me that they were actually looking for my son, is that something just came over me, and I know nobody but God just took care of me and, you know, gave me the strength to go through that. And so at the time, he wasn't home, but he was with my mom, and so I had to call her and let her know, look, I need you to take him to the local sheriff's department and let him turn himself in. And... That was very hard to do, because number one, I'm already at a point. Okay, my son is having to go to prison. Well, not at that time, going to jail for a serious crime. And then for two, it was Christmas time, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I gonna do? You know, it, it was just, it was a tearful moment. I got sick because the experience. It, it, it would just take control of your nerves, and I was like, Lord, what is going on here? But, you know, through all that, throughout all the years of going through those trials and everything, it's like now I praise God for being able to come forward and tell my story and share my story. Because with that and during that time frame, there was a couple of years at least, my coworkers had no idea that I was when I was leaving away from work, that I was going to the courtrooms, I was going to the different areas, you know, so he could complete his sanctions. And because I was ashamed. I was like, what would they think of me? You know, how do they, how would they relate to me? You know, because a lot of times, first thing people want to feel or think is that you did something wrong as a parent. And that's certainly not the case for, you know, a lot of times with our children. We do know that there are some people that don't take their parenthood serious, but someone like myself, I take it very serious. And... Like I say, during that course, it affected my younger son because a lot of times when I should have been home resting or doing things with him, I'm having to run in the house, pack up, go out right back out the door because we got to be somewhere by 6 o'clock and it's like 5.30. And it just really wore me down mentally, physically, and spiritually for a while. And during that, I began to get a little angry. Because I was like, Lord, do you hear me? Do you see me? I need some release here. But it was just meant for me to go through that the way that I did. And don't get me wrong, I have a loving family. But during that time, there were just some things that I see now that I just had to go through it. Because God was building me up with my strength. He was building my faith up. And ultimately, he was just getting my son prepared for his own testimony. Because even though my son is in prison right now, there will be a time that God is going to let him come out those prison doors. And he's going to be the man that God has called him to be. And he'll be able to go on and fulfill the promises of God. And so, really, that's a lot of my story. Because, like I can say, I really couldn't tell my story in the time that we have on tonight. But I can just right. share, you know, parts of my story.
1: Right.
2: This is Greg. I want to ask you this. Do you think your son uh, went through what he went through, not because of him, but Mm -hmm. because of what he's going to do when he realizes his full potential? And, you know, when you said you were praying, it was like heaven didn't hear you. It was like God didn't hear you. Mm -hmm. You know, and I'm so glad that you said that you had to go through it. And it's almost like when you, you know, when you're praying, Lord, I need this, I need that. And he's not, he's not answering you. He can't answer you because you're in the middle of your test. And Brian has heard yes. me say this a lot of times. It's just like when you're in school and you're taking the test and you're just calling on your teacher, and she's like, "I can't talk to you right now. You, you have to take your test. We'll deal with this after you take your test." Yes. Did yes. Did you feel like? Um, as a mother mm-hmm. that you were not cursed with a bad child but in a position forced into a position that you, obviously you didn't like you didn't want yes. did did you feel like why me why why yes. my son I, I, my friend their their son's not doing this and I'm a better parent than them
0: I really felt that way and I said it many times a lot of times in secrecy to God I mean, you know, a lot of times even at work I would get up and get away from my desk, and I was like, Lord, why me? You know, it's like a lot of times, you know, throughout my life I've gone through struggle, and, you know, it's like, why me, God? And when you're sitting around other people and you're hearing about the great things that their kids involved in for sports or, you know, they go into this location to enjoy family time, and you're looking like, Lord, well, why can't I enjoy that? You know, but I truly do believe and feel that because of my son's destiny that we had to go through that, and the reason why I say "we" is because I was just as much as affected as he was, but I really do feel like because of the calling that God has on his life, that's the reason why he had to go down the path that he's going down right now because, like I've told him before, when I begin to come into a full full understanding about what God was doing, I told him, I said, you know what, I can only carry you so far. I can only speak about you, you know, to a certain extent, but nobody will be able to tell your testimony like you can. And the amazing thing was, even right before he got into this last situation, God came to me in a vision and showed it to me that he was, if he didn't stop being with the crowd that he was with, that he was getting ready to go to prison. But he wasn't going to serve the time that men say he was going to serve. And so I got up, and I went and woke him up about 5 o'clock that morning. And I told him, I said, look, God just dealt with me. He showed me something. You need to stop hanging with whoever you're with, because if you don't, you're getting ready to go to prison. And he disputed me. He was like, Mom, I'm not doing anything, I'm not doing anything, I I promise you. Whatever it is you're doing, you better stop because a warning has just come forth. Well, five months later, that's when this last situation took place. Mm. And now he's incarcerated.
2: Now when you talk to him, how does he feel? I mean, what's his what's his attitude now?
0: His attitude is more positive. Because even in his letters and even in his phone calls, as a matter of fact, one, a couple of the letters, and one in particular, he said, Mom, he said, I want you to know it's nothing that you did wrong. He said, it was the choice that I made. He said, I'm understanding sometimes we have to go through this cycle, sometimes more than once in order to get it right. He said, but I want you to know it's nothing that you've done. So he said, Mom, I want you to lift your head up and shine and go forward because I will be all right. And if I have to do my time, I do my time from day to day because it's making me a better person. And when I read that letter, I was like, okay, wait a minute. Is this the same child? You know, but I could really see that and I could feel that, you know, because a lot of times people love to say, oh, yeah, they're just speaking that because they have jailhouse religion. But with some situations, you can tell that it's truly genuine because there are so many people that have been incarcerated, and once they're free, they get out, and they're productive citizens. I mean, they go on, and they're they're advocates. And so that's what I feel that's taking place with my son. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, let me ask you, what has it done to you?
0: It has made me stronger. It has really built my faith in God to know that no situation is impossible for God to come through and see you through it. And with that, it caused me to learn how to fast, to pray, and most importantly have patience. Because before, I scored probably a zero with patience. But through that situation and through that ordeal, it really taught me patience.
2: Do you do you
0: think that,
2: uh, you know, uh, a lot of times we hear, you know, the Lord was trying to work with me, he was trying to deal with me, but I was ignoring him, but he got the closest, the next closest thing to me to get my attention. Yes. Do you think in this case that's what it was? And the reason I'm saying that is because a lot of people are mm-hmm. like, well, if he wasn't doing what he was doing, we wouldn't be having this. But there's a bigger picture that a lot of
0: times we don't see. Yes. I do feel like it was a reflection of me to a certain extent because, you know, I'm living a safe life now, but in my earlier days I was one of those where I did have limitations on certain things that I didn't get involved in, but I was living that fast life. You know, I enjoyed those things at that time, but it was just like also, you know, God was dealing with me, at a very young age, about ministry. But I was like, it's way in the world I would ever be a minister. And, you know, even to the point where I was making jokes about it with some of my friends. And so it was like, you know, God just let me go on for so long and was like, okay, there's something down the road that's going to get your attention and it's going to draw you back to me. And I feel like that's what happened. He used that situation to get my attention as well and let me know, hey, I'm real. It's the real thing
1: here. You know, I I sympathize with you because, you know, Greg and I, we worked with youth in the past, and we know how hard it is to to deal with you just in the context of trying to get them to understand that, you know, when you're in trouble with the law, you know, you're in trouble. And the best thing you can do is not get in trouble, you know. That's true. So when you talk to other youth about what your son is going through and what it did to you, you what do they tend to say?
0: Well, some of them, to be honest, they look at me with amazement like, are you serious? But after, you know, you begin to talk with them for a period of time, they really see, okay, wait a minute, this is real. And matter of fact, with one of my neighbors, a young man, and, you know, after speaking with him every morning and just talking with him, I've noticed a change in his attitude because a lot of mornings when I'm getting ready to pull off in my car, you know, he's getting my attention, he's speaking, he's waving. Because sometimes with our children and for the, some of the ones that I've talked to, their parents have tried to talk to them, you know, to get them to understand and God has led many mothers on my path about their children. So I'm like, well, if you don't mind, I'll talk to them. And I would tell them, sweetie, trust me, you don't want to go down that path where you end up in prison because I have a son right now that's in prison. And the same stage that you're going through now, he was going through that stage. And I just try to encourage them that to look at other alternatives. And I try to especially if I know a little something about the child, I try to focus on the good characteristics in that child and point it out to them and let them know, look, you can be this, you can be that, you're bright. And, you know, just give them words of encouragement and speak life into their spirit. And just, you know, as I share, you know, different things that I went through with my son and let him know you're putting your mother through a lot of pain right now. And I know you don't want to hurt your mom, so I ask that you just listen to what I'm saying to you. And so with that, I hope that it goes through to them, because so far, the certain ones that I have talked to, they have not ended up in jail or prison. So I just pray that they just get it right and go straight through and go on and just be whatever God needs them to be.
2: Yeah. Brian mentioned that we dealt with a lot of kids. We've... We're working in a detention center, and we've gone into the jails to talk with a lot of the guys. And I can tell you, a lot of the guys, a lot of people, it's easy to judge these kids from the outside. If you're on the outside looking in, it, it's very easy to do that. Mm-hmm. But when you get in there, and you start talking with these kids, and, and you'll sometimes you'll see that some of them just don't get it. And the reason a lot of them don't get it is because it, it, it could. Be pressure at home for them to be uh, a certain way, or it could just be that 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 somebody spoke death into their life, like a school teacher or someone else. But I'm not trying to throw the blame on anybody else. But I'm just saying it could be any of those factors that make these kids give up, and a lot of these kids give up not just in the black homes, they give up in the white homes and the Hispanic homes. It's just something that a lot of these kids are going through right now, and it's really, really hard to connect with them um, on this level because if you've never been in this courtroom, if you've never been in a jail cell, if you've never been in a prison, keep your comments to yourself because it it is a whole different world, and the only way that you're going to reach these kids is unless you go there. That's and, nice. it, yes, it is very tough. It's very tough. Uh, it's almost like a depression. It, it, am I even close, Brian? It's almost like when we went in, some Man. of the kids were, like, depressed. Not not to the point of being on medicine, but it was like they were depressed. Am I right, Brian?
1: You know, it was more like they were so, it was like they were, they were trying to exhale.
2: Yeah, it's it, like they it, had been
1: holding it in for so long, and nobody had tend to ask the questions and talk to them the way that Greg and I talked. And, and I'm not saying that nobody tried, but that's the impression that I got. You know, when we were there, the kids would ask these questions, and, you know, somebody else would say, man, don't ask that question. You know you're not supposed to ask that question. And we would tell them, no, it's okay to ask that question, you know. You know, and and that was, that was what I gathered. That you know, you ask that question, and then, well, they would ask that question, and then they would be so happy, just overjoyed that you answered it.
0: Exactly, I can understand. Oh yeah, and it's like what I'm noticing with a lot of these children is that some of them just need love. They just need someone to listen to them and not just talk at them, but talk to them. And from what I'm hearing you all say when you go into the different facilities is that they're just hungry for someone to pay them some attention. And like I say, speak life into them instead of death, because a lot of times, you know, because people haven't been taught or they haven't been in a surrounding where there's a lot of positive speaking, and, you know, if you don't ever nurture something, eventually it will die.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so it's just like now You know it's just more of a focus That we do need to speak life Into our children we need to speak life over them Even in our prayers we need to Just call their names out And just speak positive things Over them
2: Yes Yes. Yes.
0: And you know what Um,
2: It's the little things that you can say That can change their life You you know, if you're doing some type of thing, we we would always do something like role play, or we'll do, we'll talk to them about certain things and we'll open the floor up to them so that they can ask us whatever they want to ask us. And you would be surprised when you give them a compliment like, you know what, you're absolutely right, you're smart, uh, I'm proud of you, uh, you can do this. And And I'm telling you, you will see a big difference. And one small thing that we did was we took... Ties in there, and we taught these guys how to tie neckties. Mm-hmm. And one kid, I couldn't get the tie back from him. <laughs> now a lot of people on the outside wouldn't—they would just think, "Well, that's corny." No, it's not. That was an accomplishment that that kid made, and he was so proud that I just had to—I <laughs> just had to let him out the tie. And he was going around <laughs> showing and teaching the other kids how to tie a tie. Now that could that probably was just the beginning of the light coming on for him.
0: Yes.
2: And we have to give these kids a chance. We have to. Now yes. with 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 Yes. And with your son and everything that you went through, what can you tell the parents or the, the mothers and the fathers that are out there going through this with their child being caught up in the system or did something I'm not gonna say caught up but he's in he or she is in the system and they're just going through, they want to just give up, but they can't because it is their child.
0: I would just like to say to the fathers and the mothers, first of all, don't give up on God. Don't give up on yourself and don't give up on your child. And if you're feeling that way right now, I just encourage you to not give up on them because that was one of the main things that my son wanted to know from me. Mama, will you still be there? I know I hurt you. I know I did bad things. I know I made bad choices, but will you still be there? And so we have to remove ourselves out of the way to a certain point and still love that child, even though they made bad decisions, but still love that child. Because if we take the godly love that's supposed to be in us, because we can just flip it around and say, okay, God, you're our father. You love us, but we know on a daily basis there's something that we do that doesn't please God. And so it's like, but he still shows us love. And so I just want to tell those parents, even though your son or daughter have made decisions and they're going through the court system and you want to give up and you're angry about what they've done, don't do it. Don't let the enemy put that plant, that seed in your spirit and say, well, you know what, they did this, don't worry about it. And if they've done something, don't hold it over their head. Don't keep throwing it up in their face because they don't need to be reminded that they've made a bad decision.
1: Right, right.
0: That's so true.
1: You know, I I thought about how when you first get involved, you know, do you know how your son got involved with the crowd he was with?
0: I have suspicions, but ultimately... I believe there were a couple of kids in my neighborhood at that time. And because one of them was older, and because of his background in, I said, the access of things that was going on that I found out later on in his home, and I believe that what ultimately started the trend. And my son, he wanted to fit in so much with different ones until the enemy took that and used it as a you know, as a source of drawing him in. So I really believe it started in my neighborhood at that time, and it was a nice neighborhood. But, like I say, it doesn't matter where you live. You know, Mm -hmm. it can be anywhere. And so I really feel like it was a couple of friends at that time where he all got started in the marijuana use and, you know, sitting around with that, plotting, listening about different things. And it just gave him the adrenaline the hype to say, okay, you know, I want to be a part of this. But I really feel like that's where it started, For for it's with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Well, you know,
1: and I was just thinking of, I, I know young individuals that have gotten in trouble with the law, and typically it's because they see an older guy that they may look up to. And, you know, with you being a single mother, you know, without having that father-structured, you know, figure in the house, they tend to look up to whatever man they see, yes. and they t- They tend to gravitate towards that person, especially if that person is treating them nice, you know. And they, and they may even look for that to that person for guidance. And so, you know, and you say your younger son has not been in any trouble.
0: No, he's he's doing real
1: good.
0: Okay. He's doing real
1: good. And the reason I said that is because it tends to be the older child. You know, in and, and these type of situations, that's what I've seen. I don't know if that's altogether true, but it's what I've seen. It's what I've observed, you know, that the older child, when he gets to a certain age, he wants to take on that role as being the adult in the house. He's the alpha male, so to speak. And so he begins to rebel against his mother. He begins to stick his chest out a little bit, you know. And, you know, it's almost instinct-like. And you know, I, Greg, you know, this is a hard one for me. Yeah. yeah. Because I, well, you know, I, I I I see these kids. They walk through my neighborhood every day. You know, I know their situations. Some of them, you know, very personally. And you know, I feel for them.
2: Yeah.
1: Because you know, their fathers have failed them. Mm-hmm. In many cases. You know, I, I can't say for in every case because many times their fathers have passed away and, you know, maybe their fathers are, you know, unable to help and provide, you know, from some other extenuating circumstance. You know, but for the most part, you know, those fathers that are able, that are, you know, that can provide and don't, you know, those are the ones that burn me up. And you know that, Greg. <laughs> I'm
0: in agreement. I am in so much of an agreement. And see, with my son... His dad is currently serving prison sentence. And so through that, God began to let me know there was a generational curse mm-hmm. that my son was dealing with. But through much prayer and through a lot of fasting, God gave me the revelation that this curse was being broken off of my son, and it was being broken through my son. And that's why it was such an ordeal. That I went through, because you know if it was deeply rooted from generations down, that spirit wasn't trying to go anywhere, you know it was one that, you know it desired to take out a generation, mm-hmm. but I thank God that he brought me in to an understanding you know, and to really start living a saved life at the age that I did, because had I been one of those mothers that just didn't know God or didn't pay God any attention. I don't know where I would be. I don't even know where my son would be. But like I said, sometimes with our children, it can be a generational curse. And also there are fathers out there. And like I say, no disrespect to no one, but like I say, we're on the air to keep it real. So my thing is there are a lot of fathers out there that can do for these children, but they don't. They chose to go the other direction. And if not, it's like some of the older ones or. are, Given easy access to guns and, you know, other narcotics and stuff. And so it's just like, who's the role model here? You know, you want to point to everybody else, but what is your job as a father? You know, what are you doing for your son? Are you walking around every day? And so I really feel like if there's more father involvement, it will help curb a lot of our young children getting into trouble. And like I said, once again, it's not just stereotyped at one race. It's across the board.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely across the board. You know, there's when it comes to our youth, you, you can't define a situation by color.
0: Yes.
1: You know, because all races and all ages, you know, do good and bad things. And, you know, quite too often, you know, people gravitate toward African-American youth, African-American males as being the problem in certain situations. And, you know, Greg and I know that not to be true. You know, Mm -hmm. we know that all colors and all races and everybody causes trouble, gets in trouble, starts trouble, finishes trouble, you know, is trouble. (laughs) But as we all know, trouble don't last always. And there's always a way that they can come out of that, you know, lifestyle out of that situation, what would you offer to them if a youth would come to you, you know, one who's been in trouble, who's been incarcerated, and they say, I've, you know, I've done these wrong things, help me get out of this situation?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, like I say, first of what I would do, I would begin to pray for them right then and there, and as I pray, I I feel truly in my heart that God would give me a direction for the child at that time and to just take that child underneath my wing and just really nurture he or she because it's like that's one another problem that we're having right now because I don't know the ages of you and Greg but I can say during my earlier years my grandmother used to tell me it takes a village to raise our children Mm -hmm. and what has happened now people have become so isolated about parenting they don't want anyone to say anything to their child but I feel like if we're able to reach out to each other's children and those children know that wait a minute somebody's always watching I always have someone to go to if my parent is not home I can go down the street to my neighbor's house and sit down and talk with them and let them know what I'm going through and perhaps they may be able to help me and if so if they're in a position to help the parent won't be offended or upset because, like I say, the focus should be about the children and being able to just help one another feel about raising our children and just being there for them in whatever area that they need. So that's what I would basically do. I would start off first of all, with prayer and communication with that child. Let me
2: ask you this. Uh, and I want to talk about we talked earlier about relationships, too. Uh, what mm-hmm. are some of the pitfalls that a lot of the single women, are falling into with some of the relationships they have, um, be it domestic violence and they're not leaving uh, be it they're in a financial situation where they can't do things on their own and also back to the domestic violence you know when when the boys see that their moms are being beaten and the women continue to stay in that relationship, I've heard that this is a type of child abuse some some type of form of uh, child abuse because the child is seeing this and obviously it is doing something to him um, emotionally. What do you think as far as these, these bad relationships, what are some of those pitfalls and how can these women avoid these pitfalls?
0: I believe what some of the pitfalls are is that a lot of times women, because they are raised in single-parent homes, that a lot of times the presence of a male is not there. I'm not saying that's in every case, but it's a high rate, you know, and they feel like it's something within that man that they need or they just have to have. And because of that, a lot of times the warning signs are there, but they don't pay attention to that and they just go for what they see or, you know, they listen to the words that they're being told at that time. And it causes them to, a lot of times, to get in a situation where it's really unhealthy. And then next thing you know, you're in a dark pit. You're trying to figure out how did you get there, what did you miss. But a lot of times with that, it's because a woman wants to feel complete. And a lot of times with feeling complete, they feel like, okay, if a man is here, then I'm complete. I'm made whole. But one thing through my own personal experience, And like I say, many years ago, I went through a situation where it was violent. But I just had to make up in my mind, if this man really loves me, we wouldn't even be putting our hands on one another. Number two, you know, I'm not going to allow a man to tear down my self-esteem so bad where I have to continue to stay in that pit with him. And, you know, I say to the women tonight that are in those situations and relationships that you truly know that it's unhealthy. Nobody has to tell you. I would just recommend, look, number one, you are somebody. Number two, get off to yourself and find out what's in you that can, that's buried within, that's causing you to make those mistakes, to feel like you got to put up with someone hitting you. Because I've even heard through some of my times, you know, women—they got excited if a man hit them or something. And I'm like, you got to be out of your mind. There's nothing good about that. But it's like in a lot of cases, women want to feel complete, and I think that's one of the reasons why they fall into a pit in these bad relationships. Hmm. Well, it, it, you know, we we've heard so
2: so many times that, um, and, and this is one thing that Brian and I. Have, I We've learned and coaching football and all of this stuff together. There's a difference in little girls and little boys. There's a big difference, and they both they both pay close attention. They won't. They probably won't tell you what they're looking at and what they're zoning in on. And it, it is really hard as a single parent. And one thing that you told me today that that's going to always mm-hmm. stick with me is that you never took the title of a single
0: parent. Yes. What I, call <laughs> I call it the <laughs> single mother syndrome. I call it the single mother syndrome. Okay. And what I say with that is that I didn't allow being a single mother to be an excuse for me to settle for less. It gave me a motivation to want to do better for myself and for my children. And, you know, there was a time where, you know, I had to receive assistance. But I didn't just settle for that. You know, I dealt with it and I received it for that time. But even while I was receiving that, I had my drive to say, you know what, I'm going to have me a job that pays me decent money. I'm going to have a job where I can pay my mortgage or my rent. And, you know, it, it was just like, because sometimes people get comfortable with just getting by. And a lot of times they say, well, child, I'm single. You know, I got to do what I got to do. Well, yeah, you do have to do that, but you don't have to settle for and just say, this is my life. And, you know, it's like whatever desire, whatever passion you have in your heart, if you're receiving assistance, hey, take it for what it's worth, but just continue to work towards your goal, continue to work towards your dream. And after a while, you'll look back and say, oh, I don't need that anymore. When you go into a place and they say, well, you know what, you're overqualified. Because at one point, I would get mad at people when I go back and they're like, well, you made too much money. I said, what do you mean I made too much money? But then I had to think about, okay, what are you striving for? You said you didn't want to be in the single mother syndrome. So, therefore, it's a blessing to now get to a point where they say you make too much money. And so that's what I meant about the single mother syndrome. Don't let that be an excuse for settling for less.
1: Wow. I like that. I like that. (laughs) I like the part where you said, you didn't get upset anymore because you made too much money. (laughs) And, you know, sadly enough, we have so many people, men and women alike, that get caught up in, well, I don't want to say caught up because, you know, a lot of them need the assistance, but they get used to getting the assistance Mm -hmm. to where, let me put it this way. I I talked to a, a friend of mine, and I told him, I said, it's not a it's not a way of life. It's just a come up. That's right. You know, it's sort of like a stepping stone. You get that to help you get over the hump. You don't sit on the hump, you know. That's right. And far too many people just sit there and sit on the hump and, you know, collect the free money. And then when they find out it's running out, then they're sort of stuck and they don't know what to do.
2: That's right.
1: You know, and uh, Greg, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who uh... was having some issues with uh... Um, with child support and uh... if you can remember i I placed out a a question on facebook and i said "What is child support and so i'm going to ask you that question as well ms edwards <laughs> what is child support
0: well first of all <laughs> i'm just going to say this for the record i've never been one of those parents who get used to child support <laughs> But for the ones that go through that definition of child support, it's supposed to support that child and not support me, myself, and my personal needs. It's supposed to go into making sure that that child has medicine, making sure that that child have clothing, proper food, utilities, and even a place to stay. It's not for mama support as meaning as you go and take care of your hair, your nails and your toes and all that other good stuff and go and take care of your current boyfriend and your children, you know, are out there lacking. Mm -hmm. Child support is exactly what it's supposed to say. It's supposed to support the child. And with that, that's when a, a mother knows how to sit down and take that money and use it wisely to support that child where they can have the atmosphere and they can have all the necessity things that they need to be able to go on and be productive children or be productive adults in life. And that's what, to me, I feel like child support is supposed to be about. Hmm.
1: You,
0: you spoke about being
2: on assistance um, and being in the system kind of a little bit. You touched mm-hmm. on that. What What was it that made you hold on to your dreams of being big and, and doing things? And you and I, we talked about your platform today, and I agree with you. Yes. That your platform. It, it is going to be huge. It's it's huge now. It's already starting. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's already starting. You know, what was that thing? Because, you know, your son, you lost your son into the system. He's in prison. Yeah. Why would you believe in a God that put your son in this position? And before you say that, I know Oprah's uh, producers are listening. So go ahead and call her now. We We're going to have her information. Uh, I'm just putting it out there. Go go ahead and call her now because I did send an email to them. Go ahead and call us. She's going to get that information out a little bit later. You need to get on your show because she can definitely change a lot of people uh, with her testimony. But back to my question, mm-hmm. why would someone believe in somebody that you're praying to that allowed so much pain and hurt for you and your family and you're still believing in him to make your situation even better.
0: It was just something within. It was a drive, and also to—I know there were people out there that were praying for me, and it was—and it is also based upon my background. I had a very praying. I, my grandmother was a praying woman, and like I said, I know there were a lot of other my family members and friends that were praying for me as well. But it was just something within that every time I wanted to give up, I just couldn't. And I guess after I start reading the Word, because one day, I think it was like in about early 2001 or something like that, I just remember just asking God, because I was going through so much at that time, and I said, Lord, where is the life that you promised your people? I remember just like it was yesterday. And from that point, it, just, it was just like a domino effect, just something happened. And from that point, I started getting into the Word, and as I started reading in the Word and started seeing what God did for the people in the biblical days, I was like, Lord, show me, show me. And so he began to show me himself, and in mighty ways. And it got my attention, and I'm like, you know what? There truly is a God, and he's real. And it's like God just, his spirit is exactly what he said it is It's a comforter. And God just comforted me through those times. And with that, it just gave me the hope, the drive. And I I tell people, it's just like an olive. You have to begin to crush that olive in order for the oil to come out. And it was just, even though all that pain And all the hurt, even though it was crushing me, but still, yet, God was just letting something come out. It it was just a supernatural thing. And I guess that's the best way that I can answer it. It it was just something within, a small voice within that just kept saying, you can't give up. You got to keep going. And it's like I just had that fighting spirit, and I just continued to say, you know what? I am somebody because God word say he has no respect to person." And with me knowing that God is so true to that, it's just like I got in the Word, the Word of God, and began to read it. And as I began to read it, it began to build my faith to know that even through the hurt and pain, it wasn't personal. Because from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that if you truly love God or you got an understanding of God, they had to go through something. And so I'm no different. Jesus had to go through something. So he let me know, you're a product of me. And... If you're gonna love me and be the one that I use for my glory, then therefore the pain must come. But you got to go through in order to get to. So I just praise God for it. It was just something supernatural within that just kept me continuing to go on and just start believing in God.
2: Awesome,
1: awesome.
0: Let mm-hmm. awesome. Oh, me awesome.
1: ask: Do you do uh, various speaking engagements? Yes, I do. Okay, awesome. If you would, please. I'm sorry.
0: Oprah's going to call, man. Oprah's Oprah's listening. She's going (laughs) to (laughs) call. Well, we're going to have a hallelujah good time.
1: Amen, amen. I want you to give out your contact information so that if someone wanted to uh, have you come out and speak or if somebody just wanted to talk to you, maybe they have a similar situation.
0: Okay. Well, we have an email address, and it's, Mothers of Hope at Gmail.com. And we also have a website which is www.mothersofhope.net. And my number where they can call me personally is 850 241 4890. What was that website again? The website is www.mothersofhope.net w net
2: And we have all the all right.
0: contact information out there.
2: It's nice. It's a really nice website. Thank you. It really is. And you're doing some, uh, I mean, you're doing some magnificent work. Just continue to do what you're doing. And just believe him for more. We talked about this today on the telephone, and I think that's a lot of problems that a lot of us have is is because we don't go to him like we should. We go to him just asking for just enough. Like you said, some of us get in that rut of uh, just, we just get so used to just making it, just making it by. You know, we need a car. We ask for a piece of car.
0: Okay. And, and,
2: <laughs> and his pockets, there's no limit. And, and when we believe for just a little bit. We're just we're putting him in a box. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you this. How hard was it for you to get out of the way, knowing that your way wasn't working? How hard was it for you to get yourself out of the way? And I think we have less than probably five minutes left in the show.
0: It was very hard. And it got to the point where I had an experience like the children of Israel. I found myself going around and around in circles. And until it was just like I realized, look, I keep bumping into myself, something is wrong here. And so from that point, I mean, after you go through so much, you begin to say, okay, God, I've had enough. Obviously, this is not your perfect will for me, so therefore let me just surrender all. And like I said, it's not easy. But the best way that I can express it is that when you go through long enough and you keep finding yourself right back at the starting point and you haven't gone anywhere, then you begin to recognize and realize, look, this is not the way that God has for me, so I just need to stand here until he just lets me know what steps he's going to take me into, how he's going to order my steps. So it it can be hard, but like I say, when God is dealing with you about surrendering all, just please do it. I mean, because trust me, his way is truly the better way.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, uh, before we end this show, I just want to say, you know, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you. And uh, yes, thank you. You know, Greg. Greg knows this is tough for me because I, I just have uh, a, a tremendous heart for children, and, you know, anytime I hear of a youth that, you know, goes the wrong way and, you know, goes astray and, you know, they have to endure the life of, you know, prison, oh, man, that that just pains me, you know, because Greg and I, we we always try to find a solution to to help people, you know, that's the whole reason we do this show, and uh, it's tough. It is. It's really tough. You know, and and usually this is the time where I'll give my quote-unquote last words or words of wisdom or whatever, you know, but I'm I'm sort of at a loss for words because, you know, here it is. I'm hearing this story that I've heard so many times told again by another mother, you know, a mother who had to, you know, lose her child to the world, Mm -hmm. you know. But what you lost to the world, you gained.
0: That's right. And so that's the
1: best part about it. You know, if there's a silver lining, we know that, you know, they say every cloud has a silver lining. Well, see, every life has a silver lining. And in this life, you know, your pain, your loss has brought you closer to God. And through God, or through you, God can show everybody else that, you can get past the pain, and that you can mourn no more. With that being said, you've been listening to The Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we ask that you please tune in next week at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where we'll have another exciting show. Good evening, God bless you all, and good night.
0: Thank you so much, Ms. Edwards. Thank you for having me. Have a blessed one.
1: You too.